yes, you can swim with sharks and feed lions and do all those things that I did. But the things that really did make me happy at the end were the fabric of life that hold all those things together. It was winter and today's guest was separated from her husband, lonely and miserable. And then she asked 27 people to hang out one Friday night and every single one said no. She realised her life wasn't working for her and she needed to change it and it was time to try something new. So in fact, she made a resolution. She tried 50 new things in 52 weeks. From zip lining to stand-up comedy to swimming with sharks, she put herself out there with surprising results. She has authored a book about the process titled The 52-Week Project, episode 56, Lauren Keenan. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. I like chatting to interesting people. Cool. Um, so you've written a book, which was the 52-week project, How I Fix My Life, Trying a New Thing Every Week. How did, how did it come about? Like how, what, what was the catalyst for you to say, I need to change up my life? I was going through this period when I was incredibly lonely. It was winter. The weather was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't have any friends and I'd also recently separated from my husband and it was what I describe in the book as being the downward spiral of suck. You know, we've all been there, especially in the last couple of years with COVID when life goes, uh, life's hard. And when life is hard, it's like, we lose the ability to do the things that will make us feel better. You know, you eat. Man, I'm in Melbourne. You were preaching to the choir. Yeah. Like, we're the lock, most locked out yeah. city in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel for you. I really do. And <laughs> how, I mean, I've been in lockdown for a very long time as well. And I just can't stop eating all the pies. And I know that they'll make me feel worse, but I just can't stop. And is this? I did see that your life quest was to find as many flavored pies yeah, as possible. And I thought well. that was an interesting life goal. <laughs> That's a circumstantial COVID life goal as well. But the funny thing is, is okay, I don't even know why I said the funny thing is. Like, I guess the thing is, is when life is hard, you're t- we all kind of know on a rational level what we need to do to make ourselves feel better, but we just do not do those things. I do not put down my phone and stop doom scrolling. I don't stop watching all the TV. I don't stop eating all the pies in my case. Yeah. And that is why the downward spiral of suckers so dastardly because when it's got you in its claws, it's very hard to find that circuit breaker to pull yourself out. When you divorced, did you have were all of your friends mutual friends? We actually separated and we did reconcile right. after a period. So in a way that did have a happy ending. Yeah. But people people get weird when you separate from a long term relationship. They really yeah. do. And we we'll have thing, to choose sides. Yeah. And one thing I yeah. write about in the book is people didn't understand that there was no reason for it except for just good old fashioned growing apart. And it's like if I'd come out with some sort of tale of woe and despair about affairs and abuse and all that kind of stuff, which is horrible and it does happen to a lot of people and it is horrible, people can almost deal with that better because they don't think it will happen to them. But when you just grow apart from someone you've been with for 15 years, it freaks people out because deep down they know 
that they're only a little way away from that possibly themselves. Uh, so was this was the 52 weeks in that separation time? It was. And what happened, my catalyst, which I write about at the beginning of the book, is I wanted to go to a m- movie one night. I, was, I also wanted to go dancing, and I invited practically everybody I knew to hang out with me on a Friday night when I was by myself and lonely. And everybody I knew said no, and I got a bit desperate, and my desire to do something kind of took on this epic proportions of begging and groveling and just texting people I even barely knew that well and asking if they were free, and nobody was available to to spend time with me. So I went to the movies by myself, which was really lame. I don't usually mind going by myself, but that night I was just miserable. Didn't want to be a Nigel, no friends. Didn't want to be a Nigel, no friends. And I counted that I had asked 27 people to hang out with me that evening and every single one of them had said no and I call that in the book the 27 rejections of doom because that for me was that circuit breaker for the downward spiral of suck to mix things up and try something new so I decided to try 52 new things in fact what do you think upon reflection and I don't know whether or not you realized this that was part of the catalyst for the 52 weeks of trying new things or if it was something that you realized throughout the journey was there a self-reflection there and in terms of the reasons why they were saying no did you sort of have this realization in regards to they weren't as close as what I thought or was it I'm not as fun to be around as what I thought I've turned into this person I don't want to be was there any of that sort of clarity I think the thing that I did realize and I've got a chapter in there on the modern world and how we deal with social interactions is it's actually very hard to be spontaneous and you know when I was younger especially when I was at school or university or or new in the workforce there's all these points of connection it's what psychologists call the three preconditions to basically making friends they're all met it's regular unplanned interactions it's situations where you can get your guard down easily and it's areas where you have key things in common and the older you get you don't really have those unplanned interactions because everyone's busy all the time you know we live in a society with the cult the busy and we're not also or they have or you have your head in your phone so you're yeah. actually not allowing anything spontaneous yeah, to happen and the world come to you you're ignoring it absolutely you people are, aren't spontaneous anymore and the other thing i've observed is the older that we get the more guarded people are yeah so you know when I was 20 I used to have a few beers with a random and we'd tell each other all our secrets and we'd play never have I and then we'd just be besties after that but yeah now I meet people and even conversations about your hobbies or your interests they kind of have these overtones where they judge me or they like me we've become quite judgmental as a society I think I I completely agree with that but I think also there's an element of as you get older there's more recognition of your mortality I think and I'm saying this I mean I'm not 70 like you know what I mean like yeah I do and so I think that there's an element of oh my god I can't believe I did that when I was 20 like that's so dangerous and there's a level of ability to do things in in the in life when there's that level of ignorance and naivety because you don't quite understand the consequences that's why Mm. one of the things that I would recommend to all young people is don't get a job start start a business if that's what you want to do straight away when you don't kind of realize any risks yeah you know like it's no I think you're right and the other thing that I've noticed 
Delta I get is I, I don't know what it's like for other people but for me we've got a more of a language around it being okay to be at home now there's actually yeah. more to do at home like I remember when I when I was in my early 20s there was no Netflix there was no streaming no. TV and, and Sunday no smartphones. there was no smartphones and Saturday night TV was lame you know there was never anything yeah. to watch it was just like a repeat of Die Hard or the sound of musical hey hey it's Saturday in Melbourne yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but now because of our phones we have this option available to us which is at home and for people like me that are more on the introverted side anyway it's fabulous you know yeah when I was younger a Saturday night in front of the TV only ever happened in the absence of other plans, but now it is like my ideal Saturday night. And I replicate that across my friend group. You know, my friends are great. They're not assholes. It's just people like being by themselves now and they they are more, they're better at self-care and saying, actually, no, I don't really want to go out. And the other thing I realized that I write about in the book is yes used to mean yes, but now yes just means maybe. And maybe means yeah. no. So not only do people not really want to go out, but they often still say that they will. And then they cancel on, on you. That's a much you, more of a thing than it used to be. Do you think, though, that it's a, there's an element of, well, probably maybe twofold, that people have lost the art of communicating because we're doing it so much over text and social media and stuff? I mean, God, I'm so happy that I met my husband before the whole internet dating thing because oh my God, I don't yes. even know if the <laughs> the art of the pickup happens anymore at the pub. I mean, I met him at the pub. Yeah, we met um, at a party. Yeah, and also, yeah. is is there a level of um? God, I can't even remember. I've only had one coffee today, so I can't even remember what the other point that I was making <laughs> making was. But is 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 that art of interaction and that art of um? spontaneous just gone out of the world because oh that's what I was going to say with the level of stress at work because now we're so contactable 24 7 everyone has their emails connected to their phones everyone's you're expected to answer the phone at seven o'clock and answer a work issue um or later do you think that that level now has made people more fatigued so they don't have the energy to go out as much I think it's there's two things there I think one is you don't need to leave the house to get social contact anymore mm. because you have all of those things. Whereas before, you know, if you were single back in the day, you could leave work on a Friday night. And if you didn't make plans, you would not communicate with anybody potentially for 48 mm. hours. Whereas now that mm. doesn't happen. You're constantly on your phones or you can constantly communicate. But at the same time, the connections aren't as meaningful because social media anxiety is a real thing and one of the new things that I did do was I detoxed from social media and it was really hard because social media was making me incredibly anxious I was feeling this weird need of needing to be available for people who are messaging me I, I you know you go into I, I get very anxious when I accidentally leave somebody on read for example someone messages me I try and swipe it away if I accidentally click on it then they can see that I've seen it I feel really guilty if I don't reply right away because I know how awful it is when you message someone and you haven't, you can see that they've read it and they haven't replied. But at the same time, the quality of the interactions just aren't as good as they would have been. They were face to face or even just ringing somebody and talking to them with the actual voice. Mm. Do you think that as a society we'll go back towards that 
in 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 some regards. I think we're really starting to see, and I write about this too in the chapter on loneliness in my book, that we're really starting to see the negative implications of loneliness. Yeah. And some of the headlines sound great. Like I read an uh, Atlantic article that you may be aware of saying that young people are having the least sex they've ever had, like generations, because they're not seeing each other. But mm. at, the, at the same time, that is a symptom of a more nefarious thing, which is the lack of human connection, you know, participation in clubs and societies is down and participation in social events is down. There are more people now who do not have friends. They do not have close friends. They have online relationships, which can't be sniffed at. There's a place for those online relationships, but they don't provide a certain kind of meaningful connection. And I think that we are starting to move a little bit towards recognition of that. And one thing I have noticed amongst some younger people that I know is they're a lot more boundaried in their social media use. Those who aren't very, very bad with it are often much better than people my age or even like my parents' generation. Yeah, it's interesting. I joined social – I hate I, – I'm not a fan of it. Those that listen to the podcast, I've spoken about it before. But I joined about, I don't know, five months ago or something because of the podcast. And before then I wasn't – I wasn't on Facebook and I wasn't on Instagram and now it's the first thing I do when I, I wake up in the morning. Like I jump on there and I, I scan and I end up watching bloody cat videos for half an you know, hour and a half and I go, I'll just watch this for five minutes and then I'm like, what's going on? Like where is my time going? It's such a time suck. Um, yeah. And, you know, you listen to the, the interviews with Ed Sheeran lately and he's like, I don't have a phone. I've just got an email. I answer it when I wanted to answer it. Like, he's gone completely old school Hmm. I think there's benefit in that I think that social media has its place but you've got to be very careful especially at the moment I don't know what it's like for you but my Twitter feed is just a quagmire of nasty right now I don't have Twitter people are grumpy (laughs) they're grumpy and it's actually (laughs) affecting my mental health yeah especially with the COVID and all the criticism of the various COVID responses and the yeah, it's. I, yeah. I, I have to speak very broadly on on COVID and being in Melbourne and any of the listeners that are wondering why you can uh, uh, YouTube um, the results of people speaking out. Um, mm, when you were um, realizing that the twenty seven people had said no to you when you what was the what was that mental switch that said I need to then try all these different things for 52 weeks I'd always like the idea of doing new things I mean I I like adventure I always have and I'd been for this walk with a couple of my friends a little bit a little bit previous maybe a couple of weeks before yeah and we did this big walk across the hills and I'd never done it before and I really enjoyed it. I found it more invigorating than anything I'd done in some time. And it just kind of got my mind ticking over in terms of other things that I could do. So what I decided that I really wanted to do was go to this place called Adrenaline Forest, which is basically a confidence course in the treetops. I'd always wanted to go. I talked to a number of people about going, but things that one thing I write about in the book is talking about people's there's hopes dreams and then there's the things that they think they're going to do but they don't actually do and all these mm. people said oh yeah sure that sounds cool let's do it but I could never lock anyone down to an actual date 
because they like the idea of it or they're busy or life gets in the way or they want to like be at home watching TV in their pajamas, like all good. So I just decided to go by myself. And as it happened, I didn't have to go by myself because my husband came with me. I got a babysitter and it was one of those things that started to repair our relationship, which was great. But going to Adrenaline Forest, it just really gave me a, a real spring on my step. It just was fabulous. Like, you know, new experiences, even if they're new experiences in the home, really do awaken something in your mind. They're really good for your self-esteem as well because you can be someone who did something that you've just not done before. Now, I um, yesterday I made some pumpkin bread, and I've never made pumpkin bread before. And it was all right, tasted fine, but I feel really smug about it. Like it really made my weekend to make some pumpkin bread just because I've never done it before. And then I ate it and you ate it and you're like, well, yeah, I don't know if I'll make this again, but I wouldn't even go so far as to say I nailed it. But <laughs> but when you do these little things, they don't actually have to be much. It, it, yeah. it triggers a neural reward in your mind that, doing the same things over and over and over just doesn't really give you and it's just makes you feel much better about yourself so when you you did the adventure course for the weekend how then did you come up with the idea of continuing that for another 51 weeks i went online yeah after putting aside everything we've just said about the internet being a quagmire of nasty I went on Facebook and said, hey, I want to do some new things. Does anyone have any ideas? And then just all the ideas just rolled in. And I think my new things probably went into three categories. Some of them were things that I always kind of wanted to do. I just had never given myself the permission space to do or the time to do. Right. The second category were things that other people suggested to me that I do with them because they've always wanted to do them. There are some great ideas in there, like stand-up comedy was one of them. I went for an overnight tramp. I fed a lion. Like there's all things like that that they weren't my ideas, they were other people's ideas. Hang on a minute. I heard uh, you broke up a little bit. So there was stand-up comedy and then what was it with a lion? I fed a lion. You fed a lion? I fed a lion. I've done that at the zoo too. Was that cold. was amazing. Yeah. It was and then the third category of things were actually the things that I'd never heard of before has even been things and mm. again these are all ideas that came from other people like pedal boarding I didn't even know what pedal boarding was until someone suggested it then I went and did it it was just it was fun so you're taking yourself off to do these things by yourself some of the things I think when I did my tally at the end of the year probably about a third of them were by myself and the okay. other two thirds were with other people some of them were things you don't really need to do with other people. Like I I wrote letters, I hand wrote letters to friends overseas. I learnt cross stitch. Things like that are just solo activities anyway. I mm -hmm. volunteered as a at a elderly's at elderly residence, an old person's home. Um it, but some of them were things with other people, like I did stand up comedy, I I rode a mechanical bull with my sisters. You know, I went and ate some vodka donuts with my mum. Yeah. So on and so Did, forth. When you had this list coming through from Facebook, suggestions coming through from Facebook, did you then sit down and write out something that you wanted to do each week or was it sort of an organic, I'm looking for something to do this week? What 
what was on that list? It was actually more organic. Okay. I had a whole bunch of ideas that I needed to plan. I started doing it in August and I knew that I was going on holiday over, over Christmas, New Year. So I had a number of things planned kind of for that period when I was away, when it was summer, when I was going mm-hmm. to somewhere that had more interesting things to be done. Some of them were opportunities that I just took. I got a caricature drawn and that was, I was in Melbourne actually. I was in Melbourne at the markets, Victoria markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was someone there just, drawing caricatures so I was like sweet <laughs> hook me up and whenever that happened I was always relieved because it was one less thing to plan uh, but some of them were things that I did have a vague idea that I wanted to do at some point and I kind of booked them in and, and look forward to them plan them like riding in a helicopter like I booked that maybe six weeks beforehand with um with the the 52 weeks was it a gradual thing that you went, they were so varied each week, or was it a gradual thing that you eventually got more and more adventurous with them? Kind of, I approached it kind of thematically. Like a lot of the first ones were to do with how I look. You know, I got a, I got a makeover. I'd never had one before. I got a manicure. I got false. What, is it, what do you, hang on, what do you classify as a makeover? Are you talking about full wardrobe redone? Or you're I just did. thinking hair and makeup? I actually did both. I, I went into a David Jones, right. actually in Melbourne right. yep. again. I was in Melbourne yep. during that, like yep. for a little while. And I basically set myself down in one of those big seats with the artists, the makeup artists, and said, do me. And then she just gave me like a full <laughs> facial, you know. Just be careful when you ask asking people <laughs> to do you, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she gave me a full facial and I had this, you know, I had a lot of <laughs> Uh, everything that I want to say now sounds really crude. But I know, it does sound dirty. I know. I was gonna say, the makeup, what, the what I was going to say was but... I had a lot of hang-ups about my, my looks. Um, oh. I did. I really did. And that was a big part of my early journey. Like I had always thought that I was bad, really terrible looking because when I was a teenager, I was bullied about how I looked. So I was really shy, like really shy about how I looked. Yeah. So I did get a full makeup thing. Um. I got taught how to use makeup, which was new. And then yeah. later is another new thing. I got a color wardrobe consult. So this woman uh. basically came into my house and she went through my wardrobe and put everything in yes pile and no pile. And then she draped me with all these colored scarves. And then at the end of that was like, you suit this color, but don't wear this color unless you want people to think you're sick. Which one's on the color wheel? Yeah, it was great. It was actually really good. I've really... I've had friends that have done really that, but I've it. always been into, yeah, real, okay. Makes shopping oh, online much easier. Okay. Well, I might need to uh, investigate that. Okay. And it's funny because a lot of the clothes that she put in my no pile because of the colors or the shape were all clothes that I'd worn them. Like I bought this beige silk shirt as a reward to myself once. I, it was really expensive. It was like a big treat when I paid off my student loans. I bought this beige silk shirt. But whenever I wore it, I felt like an Ugmeister, right? It just didn't feel good. It didn't look good. But whenever right. I wore it, I thought I was ugly. Right. I think I'm bad looking. I can't even pull off this stylish beige silk shirt. But then when she put it in that pile, I just realized it was actually the color in the fit. It wasn't me. Because there are colours and there are fits that can always work. Oh, isn't that interesting? It was a real revelation for me. But then again, yeah. I, after that, switched to a lot of physical-based things because 
I focused on how I looked and I became a little obsessed and I didn't like that either. So I think there was a happy medium to be struck. Like now I know how to wear a lot of makeup and what looks good, but I also don't care. So it's nice to kind of go through that as well. Yeah. What, in terms of your mental psyche or your psyche in regards to that process, what was it, what did you learn about yourself? I mean, okay, I, I started focusing on my looks, yeah. but I then realised I was getting obsessed with that. I switched to other things. I realised the clothes that I was wearing were affecting how I felt about myself. But what was it about you that you sort of, because when you sort of look at it from an overall point of view, it sounds like you, you gained a lot of self-confidence. I really did. Too. Yeah. But was, that a, was there a time when you sort of, and that was that was why I asked if the if the events each week got different and more daring in regards to you gaining that self confidence. But was there was there an epiphany at one point where you said, "Oh, I'm a completely different person," or was it when you sort of reflected back on the year? Or I think the thing is, I was never a different person at the end. I was just a better version of the same one. I I was a lot braver in terms of doing things by myself the more the year went on. Most of my so self confidence, self confidence, yeah. Most of my activities early on were with other people, or they were the kind of things that you don't need to do with other people. Yeah. Um. Further through, I I did more and more completely alone. Like I went ziplining by myself. I went parasailing by myself. I never would have done those right at the beginning because I would have felt a bit stink about doing them by myself. I would have felt like a bit of a lamo. Yeah. And you didn't feel like a Nigel when you were doing them. No. I'm going to have so many Nigels right into the show now. <laughs> I, you know, I think the thing with doing things alone is you get – it's pros and cons, right? And in and, and the book, I use the example of the parasailing. That I went up into this – you know, the guy was like loner shaming me as he was loading me into the parachute and he said, oh, it's cheaper to do with two people and you have it. And I said, do many people do it by themselves? And he said, no. No, they don't. <laughs> It's something to do with other people. So and he probably didn't think anything of that comment. But no, when you're looking didn't. at it from a self growth journey. Yeah, like that, it's hard enough doing stuff on your own anyway. Like that's a dick comment yeah. to make. It was, but then I went up there, and it was awesome being by myself. Because if I'd been with someone else, you know, you experience fear differently when you're performing for somebody else, even if you know them very well. If I was up there by myself, I would have babbled the whole time. I just would have probably nervous chatter because I was scared but because I was by myself it was really peaceful it was really cool actually so the experience was enriched by being alone and that was true for quite a few of the new things that I did that's interesting so the you experience fear differently I believe yes do you have a you have a psychology background don't you no I have a I'm a massive reader of psychology and I've read everything I can get on psychology has become like a personal passion in the last three or four years. I actually have a history background. Yeah. I was just, when you, I was re- reading your bio and it said um, about psychology, it must have been the reading of psychology. That's where the psychology stuck in, stuck in my head. One thing that in terms of experiencing fear alone though, is years ago I was in an earthquake in an elevator. Oh my God, that's terrifying. It was terrifying, but I was by myself. And I remember thinking, I'm glad no one else is here because I can just, do things in my own way in terms of how I deal with fear. 
because when you're around other people, like the psychology studies do demonstrate that you sometimes take the cues from the people around you. Like, I don't know if you've heard the famous experiment when it comes to fake smoke coming under a, a waiting room surgery and there's one person in the room that thinks it's a real fire and everyone else is a plant. They're all part of the study and they time the person to get up when no one else is getting up and saying, I'm leaving, I'm scared. And in almost every case, they get up too late because they're taking the cues from the people around them. That's interesting. They do say that um, in terms of riots and so forth, that the anger and the fear and that that can get whipped up, you know, that's contagious. And I'd say it's the same thing in terms of, well, no one else is panicking, why should I? Mm, They're kind of the opposite of that. Yeah. I learned a lot about my relationships. I I was spending too much time on the wrong people. Yeah. You know, the quote goes that you are an average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And I was, I had the wrong five people at that time of my life, I think. So I changed who I spent my time with and that was incredibly valuable as well. That was actually one of the things I was going to ask you. Is Was that a gradual thing or was that an actual conscious conversation that you had with these people? I mean, I I did disconnect with one friend that I write about yeah. in the book. Just ghosted? Well, we had an online argument. Right. They, were being, they were being a bit of a dick, to be honest. And we yeah. had this online argument and they were always messaging me like all the time and getting weird when I didn't reply and that sort of thing. And I just bit back with something. I said something but but mean, which I probably shouldn't have said either. I was just over it. And then they just ghosted me. Like like forever. But then it became a point <laughs> where I stopped caring. I've had friends like that too. Yeah. And then the thing that came of that, like I'm not friends with that person anymore. But I think back yeah. to the time I was friends and I think, Chapers, what a waste of time. They were in my five. They were a waste of space in my five. <laughs> Should yeah. have been someone who actually didn't do that sort of thing or didn't put too much pressure on me just to respond to their messages and the little low-level niggliness that you often forgive with someone you've known a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did a social experiment with one of my friends and she was always the one that, and had been since school, you never reached out. Like you had to be the one that was always reaching out to them. They'd never reach out to you. And then when you did that, they'll find them and engage. And I didn't do it. And she was she was known in the group to to be, be that like person. that. It was just always like, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. And then I did and I said, I'm going to see how long it took them, takes them. Yeah. It took them three months. Wow. And then they had a go at me for not communicating with them. And the, then we decided that it was best that we just ended our friendship. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't dealing with the bullshit anymore. I'm like, I'm, yeah. this is not an even relationship, you know? And, and the th- one thing I really did learn about that year, and I think I'm going to write about this in another book too because I didn't really unpack it as much as I'd like to, is when you redraw boundaries, it always hurts the people who benefited from your old bad boundaries. Yeah. So like with your friend, it suited her to be the passive person oh yes Fiona wants to chat to me I'm so great you know and all of a sudden when she has to chase you she's resentful of that because it's not the way it's ever been but she benefited the first time it was actually really interesting and it was all like she was like that with everybody like everybody it was like oh that's just you know she's getting back to it yeah and then I probably didn't um I probably restructured the boundaries of the friendship without having that that conversation with her but anyway it was it was interesting outcome 
Yeah, um, I've recently redraw, redrawn the boundaries for two former good friends. I don't think they're, I don't even know if they've figured it out yet. I was back in mm. New Zealand for three weeks. I only had three weeks. I had a plan with them to spend time with them and neither of them showed up. So then I, so then I rescheduled. They both had reasons. One rang me the next day with all her reasons, and one of them had some other reason. And then I rescheduled, and neither of them came the second time. So I just thought, you know, I'm not going to make a drama about this. I'm not even going to mention it. I just left our group WhatsApp. <laughs> I just don't have the bandwidth anymore for people like that in my life, and I think that's probably my biggest learning from that year. Not only did I become more confident with myself, as I actually decided she's pretty cool myself. Not to be all arrogant and big-headed. I have lots of faults. But when you become more comfortable with yourself, you become more comfortable with standing up to people who treat you badly. And that's really important. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, got, I had quite bad bullying at school. And I very much now, it's probably one of my... I don't know, strengths or weaknesses, phrase it how you want, but I don't suffer fools easily. And when I yeah, find, like, if I I have a really strong bullshit detector, but mm. I also then call people out to their face about their bullshit, probably doesn't go down too too well. Yeah, but at least they know. At least it's out. <laughs> this is I'm a very transparent person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I've got to that point too, and doing yeah. the 52-week project was a really big part of that because not only did yeah. I repair my relationship with my husband, I actually yeah. looked at the people around me and, and I looked back on the 27 people who rejected me that night and some of them had good reasons, but some of them, like, why was I asking them to hang out in the first place? Not everyone is good to you. Do you think that you cut your, cut people off too quickly now or do you think that you probably um, uh, with my friend, have realised that you didn't do it fast with my, enough before? With my friend that I'm no longer friends with at all that I write about in the book, I think yeah. I probably was a bit too much of a drama queen about it. Like I I was really upset and I talked to other friends about it and then I talked to other friends about it and then I just like whipped myself into a, a bit of a friendly energy. and, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that was a massive waste of energy and I looked like a bit of a, a kid. I think like it, it didn't cover me in glory. But now I am a lot more decisive but I'm a lot more careful with saying things that can't be unsaid. So like there's other friends if they get in touch with me, I'll be like, cool, yay. I'm not going to necessarily structure my time around them anymore. But I didn't create any drama. I just kind of like slid out. I just left. Well, all I did was left. Split the... out, but it does notify. It does come up on the WhatsApp group when people have left the group. So oh, absolutely. I just, like, but I know. I what know. a bitch, Lauren. She left the group. Did you say and the reason I it? and the reason I left the group is because they were planning this other thing that I hadn't been invited to, and I was like, I'm just, I'm just done. And then I actually felt really good after leaving the WhatsApp group, and I don't regret that. But I haven't like had a big heavy conversation or created any drama about it. I just have they reached out to you via text? No. One of them likes every Facebook update I do, though. Maybe that's her olive, olive branch. That, that's how it kind of feels. And if I see her again, sweet, like, that's cool. I'm just not going to – I'm not going to plan. Put a lot of energy I'm into not going to put too much energy into it. So when you – you're mentioning about uh, the five people now that are closest to you, do you actively and consciously vet them? Well, I wouldn't say vet, vet them because it makes me sound – really Machiavellian about my friendships, but I think I'm a lot more aware about toxic behavior. Like I, one, yeah. one of the girls that I'm probably closest to right now, she's in my five because we work together. So I see her all the time and we're quite similar. We've actually made the rule not to talk about certain things just so we don't get ourselves a bit toxic. 
So I really value That's people like that. Um, yeah. Our rule is no new facts. Like it's really easy just like no new facts. about things, but unless there's a new fact, we try not to talk about it. So we talk more about like the TV and interesting things without that feeling the bad habits you can get into with certain people where you kind of get in a loop of doom. Like I used to have this yeah. one friend that I've not had any dramatic fallout with or anything, but he used to be quite negative, just quite a negative person. Yeah. And I used to be negative when I talked to him and then we just got in this habit of just kind of bad mouthing like someone else we knew. And I, I just, I just became aware of that sort of thing. And I've just stopped doing that, being a lot more conscious about whether someone energizes me or depletes me and also the effect I have on them. Am I good for them? Have you ever ended a friendship after the 52 weeks because you think, although that they you're getting something out of the friendship that you don't think that you're a positive influence on them? I haven't ended a friendship, but I did have this one friend that I think the power imbalance was a bit awkward. I was oh, aware of it. Yeah. Um, I, not everyone, you know, when you think about who your good friends are and the people that you tell your things to, sometimes you will be other people will be that person for you and you'll be that person for them but it's awkward and uncomfortable and it's actually quite hurtful for both parties I think when there is a mismatch there is a unbalance mm. someone telling you like their deepest soul their secrets their, their issues when you don't actually see them as a particularly good friend or vice versa so I did yeah. work to kind of remedy that a little bit because I felt like it wasn't really fair mm. So I wasn't cutting somebody off because we're still friends, but I just been a bit more mindful about it. Hmm. What have you really, in terms of your day to day, you've done the, I noticed that you've done the 52 weeks and I noticed that you were also doing a 21 things in 21, in 2021. How's that yeah. going? Oh, COVID's been hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should probably update that. I don't think I've done it. I don't think I'm up, up to date with that at all. I'm probably lucky if I've had 10, to be honest, but I'm still working on it. And I did bake the pumpkin bread, which helps. <laughs> <laughs> and I did a and you're another still trying to figure out your pie flavours. I still put out pies and I ate, I ate, um, I learned to play four square and I did my first Lego last month. I've never done a Lego before. Not, not like a proper, like big set of Lego, which has been really fun. Something that I probably wouldn't, um, actively look to invest time in i know people love it and i know yeah yeah i did my first puzzle last year that i mean i did the when i was kids but doing adult puzzles yeah. as well it's quite mindful adult puzzles are very um they've actually been proven and coloring coloring yeah. in actually been proven cool. to lower anxiety and stress yeah it's, it's, it's the right puzzle Unless you do a VESA puzzle and there's like one piece missing, in which case it enhances stress, but at least the process has been all right. <laughs> you might need to have a rule of this, make sure you're unwrapping them before you do them so you know it's brand new. I'm always looking for new things to do, but it is a balance yeah. too. And I did 52 new things in 52 weeks and I wrote about it, which was awesome, but I will not have the yeah. energy to do that again. Like I quite enjoy – the thing I learned about it too was – doing the big exciting things isn't actually the most important thing. Doing new things is cool and it's really good for your self-esteem. It's the gift that keeps on giving. But yeah. it's just great sometimes to do those little things you do all the time, like talk to a friend. But where did the catalyst to write the book come from? 
Because it's one thing just saying, okay, I'm going to try new things, but then to write a book about it and publish it. Where did that come from? I kind of wrote it as I went. Like I've always written right. as a form of kind of cathartic therapy, I think. I've always right. kept a diary. So for me, writing was the natural conclusion of doing the things. I wrote about it as I went. I was doing a lot of psychological research and study, and, and it really helped me to analyze and to articulate in an analytical way what I was going through to kind of disengage my own self from it as a way of processing what was going on in my life at the time. It was incredibly useful. Oh, you just broke it. You just froze for a second. Sorry. So you've always written – You no, no, it's not your fault. So you've always written and you found it incredibly useful yeah. as an analytical tool? I did. It was an incredibly useful part of dealing with the pr- process that I was going through, the trauma and the, and the general unhappiness. I think when you write things, it gives you a bit of power over your own story. And I think that's a really valuable tool, whether, whether or not you ever publish it, whether or not anyone ever sees it. But just the act of writing is empowering. Why did you decide to publish it and make it so public? I actually took a bit of time. Like I wrote it and then I didn't do anything with it because I was shy and I didn't touch it for about a year. And then I pulled mm-hmm. it back out and at that point it got published. And then because of publishing timeframes, I got the publishing contract over a year before the book was published. So the year that I write about was actually about four years ago now. So it was actually quite some time ago. So that's why I feel a lot more comfortable about talking openly about it. But during when I was still in it, I couldn't have done it, I don't think, with as much distance and with as much comfort. How was your husband, I don't know how much you go into that in the, in the book, but how was your husband with you publishing the fact that you'd separated the yeah, things back together? it's quite remarkable that he didn't seem that phased by it because he says it has a happy ending. That was the phrase he used. And that was... I really, really respect that in him, actually. He did read it. He made a couple of changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a couple of changes of things that he just didn't really – it wasn't even things he was nervous about. It was more that he his point of view was a bit different than mine. Like, you know, when you write, your truth is always slightly different than someone else's truth. Mm. It so was weird, though, it... with some external family members, like people we don't know so well. Ah, so the people closest to you didn't have an issue, but the people a bit further away did. Some people have reacted strangely to the book, to be honest. Some people mm. in my in my group um, made some people quite unhappy. Not in a, not because of anything I'd written, but because they was they felt guilty that I'd been so lonely and they felt they hadn't done anything about it. But the people that felt that way, there's I have three people that have come to me separately and said that. They're all people that were always great. Like they were they were never the problem. They were actually right. the best support. I think they're just really well in tune with the empathy drive, maybe. And I just love them for even caring that much, to be honest. But I don't mm. like that I made them feel bad. So in, in each case, I'd have a big talk to them about it and make them hopefully feel a little bit better and, and not feel guilty because they, they had nothing to feel guilty about. What do you want readers to take away from the book when think, they read it? I think the main thing I want people to take away from the book is that it's not to make your life more interesting and to feel better about yourself. It's not about actually the big things. And this is the conclusion I came to. It was about the small things. Yes, you can swim with sharks and feed lions and do all those things that I did. But the things that really did make me happy at the end were the fabric of life that hold all those things together. It was about 
redrawing my boundaries with friends and family. It was about being more boundaried with social media, being more deliberate with how I spent my time and being more mindful about things that actually take you forward as opposed to things that are holding you back. You've got another goal of 50 countries by the time you're 50. How are you going with that? How many countries are you up to? I'm at 44. And I'm 41. That's good. So I've In got... COVID times, that's pretty good. You just go have a trip through Europe, you would have. I know. I, I used to always joke that I'd do a Mediterranean cruise or a Caribbean cruise, but now cruises aren't so fashionable. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I want to do that now. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have to see how COVID goes because I haven't done any travel, actual proper travel for ages now. So hopefully it will all go away. And if not, I'll have to just silently be quiet about my old goal and... <laughs> well you've only got if you have to 44 you've only got six got to go six countries in nine years so hopefully toward the end what's of that on the top of the list that you'd like to go to i'd really like to go to japan i've never been to japan i've never been to canada yeah i've never been to malaysia or indonesia i'd like to go to those two countries you probably won't do southeast asia first given that everything's kicking off there yeah yeah. You might want to get that done sooner rather than later. <laughs> I've never been to South America either. Yeah. I actually haven't been that many places. I'm 44 is a lot of countries and I'm incredibly privileged to be able to have done that. Most of it was when I was in my twenties and just backpacking around. Yeah. But I can't, I can't assume that I can do that kind of travel again in the future, which is its own kind of challenge. I think. Why don't you assume that you can do that? That's an interesting statement. Why? I think a lot of it's COVID and travel confidence. Um, it's a lot harder to move around the world now. Yeah. Well, we can't even get out of Australia without permission from yeah. the government at the moment. Yeah. It, it, it's The world is different. Like I remember last year when the borders all closed and COVID started and it just feels like a different world. Yeah. There was so much that we took for granted before and I think travel and cheap travel, I don't know, how much it would even cost to go on an international flight could be the consumer confidence is so low that it, the fears are really high. I'm just not sure. Well, the other thing that I was thinking about is whether or not travel insurance would cover you if you mm. got sick with COVID and ended up in hospital. Oh, absolutely. And also when I was doing all my travel, it was like the late two thousands when me and my husband were backpacking, you know, on a shoestring all around the world before we had kids and things. Yeah. I remember someone saying that it's the golden age of air travel at that point because you could like yeah. get a pound flight to Europe from England and because we lived in London at the time and you could yeah. move around easily and cheaply uh, and that it would probably be over at some point because of climate change and it always stuck in my mind but it seems that I, I wonder how much the climate change, the awareness of the environmental impact of long-haul travel will also drive up prices and make it less likely to happen in the future. Well, it hasn't happened so far, so. That's true. So I just don't mm. know. The future is, who knows what the future is going to be, right? I remember, talking about the travel, I remember being on a train um, with my backpack in, in England. I, I was doing the whole backpacking, working at a pub thing over there, and I was having a chat to before smartphones, so you had a chat with random people on the trains and there was a, a woman on there with her two kids and she looked at me and she said, are you doing the whole backpacking thing? I said, yeah. And she and I said, but I've got to take a job at a pub because I'm out of money. She turned around to me and said, 
as soon as you have kids, you're not going to have any opportunity to do that. So take whatever you have to do, take out a loan or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, it. oh, God, I'm not going to go into debt to travel, you know, but I probably wish I had now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have kids, but it still seems more expensive once you get a mortgage and, you know. You I think you kind of want to do it less too. Like I love travel. I really do. But I think a lot of that was actually loving new experiences. And one of the best yeah. parts of my new things was doing new things in my own neighbourhood and in my own country and going to Australia and doing new things there. And I think that a lot, a lot of the travel kick for me, it can actually be replicated domestically. That's interesting. You're a different a person when you travel. With, right. Yeah, and that's a good incentive to spend travel dollars in your own country, everybody. I think so. Because yeah. most of what I did, I did. I did it all in either New Zealand or Australia. I didn't go anywhere for any of that. At one point, I thought about going to Bali for a holiday because I'd never been, but it was too expensive and I didn't have time. And I didn't regret not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, parting words of wisdom, what would you like people to know? We obviously need to go out and read the book, yeah. um, the 52-week project. But what would you like people to know in regards to a takeaway of where you're at now and, and uh, what you've learnt along the way? I think that doing new things shakes you out of your comfort zone in a way that you can learn about yourself in an incredibly positive way. It's really good for your self-esteem. And I'd say that, especially with COVID, the downward spiral of suck is very real. Like it's normal to feel really crappy a lot of the time when life is hard. And it's also very easy to eat all the pies and watch all the TV, do all the things you shouldn't do. But if you're looking for a circuit breaker, just a couple of new things that can be within the house just to, to, to break that circle, circuit and to feel better about yourself. New things are a really good way of doing that if you have the bandwidth for it. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. I'll, uh, I'll add everything. I'll put everything in the show notes of the episode so everyone can jump on and grab a copy of uh, Lauren's book. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. Thank you.